The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our host, Joel Whipperford, Bag Technology Applications Lead for Winfield United. And filling in for Kyle Reiner over the next few weeks is John Zook, Winfield United agronomist based in southern Minnesota. John and Joel, let's talk more about the NutriSolutions Tissue Sampling Program and the major findings on soybeans in 2017. So some of the major findings that we saw in soybeans uh, basically mirrored what we saw in 2016 and for that matter mirrored what we saw in the last four years, meaning that it's the same key nutrients kept popping up. Now, some of them kind of swip and swap up and down, left or right, however you want to look at it as far as the weight of how deficient they are. But the number one for soybeans that always seems to come up for me is potassium. And that's probably, I think, is because soybeans have such a crappy root. How do we get <laughs> potassium or immobile nutrient into that soybean plant? And as an agronomist, that kind of drives me nuts because I spend three months, four months out of my summer digging soybean roots, and maybe 20% of them are ones that I can go, ooh, I like that root. The rest of them are just crappy roots. So that is really nothing new to me when I see potassium being deficient. 75, 80% of the time, potassium's deficient. And that's because that soybean plant just doesn't have that great of a root as extracting potassium from the soil is what corn does. Now, when you look at the other two nutrients that pop up, copper and manganese, those are our micronutrients, and those definitely have a play on what the weather is bringing us. So manganese in soybeans is very important for photosynthesis and making that happen. And as we know, to maintain yield on soybeans, we need as much photosynthesis happening after flowering as we possibly can. So manganese, making sure manganese is there is, is very important. Then the copper play is more, I think, more of a plant health play. And that would, uh, again, go back to our environmental factors of how much disease or how much insect pressure we're having above ground. Yeah, you talk about these deficiencies in nutrients in soybeans, and it seems that corn gets all the attention for yield, but soybean yields have crept up over the last couple of years. As I was looking at answer plot trials, the amount of replications that are over 100 bushels are up ridiculous amounts. They're up 50 and 80% in some situations where we're getting more and more high yields to tip the scales. When you talk about after July 1st or the flowering period for soybeans, Soybeans reproduce just a little differently than corn does in that corn, you know, probably a 15-day pollination window, whereas the pollination window, the, the reproduction window for soybeans seems to last 45 to 60 days in some cases. How does that change the nutritional demands that the soybean plant needs in that critical time? Well, so I always like to look at it this way. I mean, a soybean has to live day to day. So by saying that is it has to take up whatever nutrients that it possibly can for that day and photosynthesize as much as it can when the sun comes out. And then as soon as the sun goes down, now it has to respire and live off of all the nutrients that were taken up throughout that day in beginning. So if you're flowering, if you're putting on pods, if you're filling seed throughout that soybean reproductive period, and for whatever reason that soybean doesn't photosynthesize enough or maybe it doesn't have enough water, or maybe it has a crappy root and it can't take up as much nutrients as it possibly can throughout that day, now it has to start to sacrifice yield every day. So a lot of times as I'm walking the fields in season, I'm seeing a lot of pods and a lot of clusters of flower, a lot of seams laying on the floor of the field or in that 
that canopy, below the canopy, laying on the ground because that soybean had to live day to day, and we just started aborting the pods, aborting the flowers. So the difference would be soybeans live literally paycheck to paycheck on the nutrition that they have up there. And what I was amazed at is that one of the, you're one of the first people that I was walking a soybean field with, and you had actually laid some landscape fabric down in between the rows of the soybean plants and started catching all of these flowers and pods and parts of the soybean and leaves that were aborting back because paycheck to paycheck, they couldn't make ends meet that day. That's a great analogy. You should take that back to your manager and see if you could relate soybean pot abortion to maybe paycheck and potentially get a raise out of it. <laughs> if you could do that, we'd maybe produce more yield on soybeans, right? Maybe maybe this is – do you think it's a good place to ask on a podcast for a pay raise? <laughs> So, John, when you think about soybean nutrition and, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about in corn is obviously nitrogen. We haven't necessarily unlocked the potential of nitrogen response in soybeans, but you've toyed around with it quite a bit. Yeah, so in the answer plots we've done, we've actually tried for two years in a row now to try to figure out when the right timing for nitrogen application or nitrogen uptake in soybean is. Now, a lot of these results are disclosed, but because I'm in a room in closed doors with you, Joel, nobody else can hear us, I think I might tell you a little bit of of what I found. Uh, So really, it goes back to how well, first off, I think, how well did those soybeans nodulate? Do we have good nitrogen-fixing bacteria down below in the ground? And, and that starts right back to with a seed treatment. And then also looking at the deficiencies, manganese is also very important for photosynthesis. The one thing that I didn't mention is manganese also triggers the production of flavonoids within the soybean plant. And by triggering the production of flavonoids, that's a signal that's sent down that soybean stalk into the roots that tells the nodules that are there to say, hey, we need you to start paying rent. You're on oceanfront property and our rent, we need to collect some nitrogen because now we have to start putting on pods. We have to start filling the seed, that sort of thing. So flavonoid production is key in making sure your manganese is as sufficient as you possibly can during that first initial flowering time frame, I think is very important. Going back to this nitrogen production story, though, is say we, uh, in the answer plots, we tried three different ways to put on nitrogen on the soybeans and the first way was right up front at planting. So as soon as we planted it, put 100 pounds of N down. Let's see what we saw. So the next thing was uh, when you put nitrogen down right at flowering or that R1 timing, we could see that there was definitely more nitrogen brought up into the plant. And then we did a late application like R3, R4 of 100 pounds of N. So we had three different timings, three different applications. Of course, all of our nitrogen was stabilized because that's what we should be doing to make sure it's getting into the plant the way we want it to. The first application that we put on at planting, those beans got nice and tall. Wasn't very fun to walk through when I took those samples. Now, we did replicated research, Joel. Do you know what replicated research is? That's what we do in the answer plots. Yeah, exactly. So this was 16 different replications that I had to walk through these tall, gangly beans, kind of like your stature. (laughs) And then I had my sawzall trying to cut these plants down. And then we had to take the bottom six inches of stock and send it in for a ureide analysis. So this ureide analysis is kind of an interesting thing is it allowed us to measure the amount of nitrogen that was made by the nodules of the plant. So not only could we say, hey, we applied 100 pounds, Here's how much the nodules are putting on so we can measure how much that plant was taking in the nitrate form. But then we can also measure how efficient that plant was as far as nodulation and where we're affecting there. So we could watch it all three different time points. And really what we found 
was probably at that R1 timing. If you could say that your beans were 68 bushel plus, you could see a response to nitrogen. But by the time we got to that flowering time point, and most of the time, granted, maybe everywhere else other than southern Minnesota, beans look great at R1. But in southern Minnesota, at R1, beans look terrible. So most of the time when I'm walking into a farm in southern Minnesota and you say, hey, it's time to apply N, it's R1, I go, hmm, my beans are still yellow and I don't think I want to put anything more on them. So that's where we really arrived is if we could start to gauge our yield environment a little bit better, we might be able to see that response event. And that's where I think maybe we go back to can we use a model to help us maybe predict what our potential might be across that acre or that field? We've actually uh, started, I think we're on our second year of modeling out yield in soybeans. We're on the second calibration of that particular tool and field forecasting tool. And we're finding we have pretty good model accuracy on predicting soybean yields. Also, prior to that, the prior predictive capability for me personally to tell you what soybean yields were was I would get my truck going down the highway. And when I got it up to about speed, I'd look over at the field and then look down at the speedometer. And if I was going about 55 to 65 miles an hour, usually I had a pretty good accuracy of predicting what that soybean yields was. Better than counting the pods and stems. Your method is probably just as good as what we do in research. You know how we do it in research? I have no idea. Well, so I didn't make this up. One of the researchers that we work very close with uh, gave a presentation, and here's what he told us. This was Dr. Biolo out of the University of Illinois. And uh, he said, well, you know, we do pod counts on soybeans and yield estimation. I said, well, yeah, yeah, you take pods. Yep, you take pods. Well, you count all those beans in the pod. Yep, take a certain amount of plants. Yep, measure the population of those plants that you took it from. Yep. And then what do you do? You guess. <laughs> so you can do all the pot counts you want, but I think in the end it's maybe driving by and getting a feel for the farm, feel for the field and how it sits. And that's what you end up finding, using a model, using something else to come into play to build some more confidence in your decision. I think it will take you a long way when you're taking a tissue sample on that farm. And I think that it goes back to our original discussion of soybeans live paycheck to paycheck, which makes it hard to predict yield. How many times have you heard from a grower that – you know, the last 15 days, we just didn't get a lot of heat. We didn't get a lot of photosynthesis, and those top pods didn't fill out. Or the latter, where they say, you know, I added a fungicide, and my beans stayed greener just a little bit longer, and we photosynthesized, and we filled out a few more pods. I think that's one of the places where predicting soybean yields, the yield isn't made. It's really hard to predict. Yeah, no, and I think uh, other than living paycheck to paycheck, soybeans depend so much on that quarter inch of rain on august 15th at 3 11 in the afternoon that's so specific on that yeah and i mean that's what it is it's every two three days during that key uh, reproduction standpoint to hold on to as many pods and flowers as we can is what's going to make our soybean yield but if you're not setting the plant up to be sufficient in the nutrients in the first place how are you ever going to get that far where can farmers get more information about specific nutrient trends in their state? So I think uh, first off is going to answerplot.com and looking at a, throughout the year, we'll put out several publications that you can see some of these trends. But the biggest thing is going to be talking to one of our owners in the countryside that has access to our information. And then the other thing is if you haven't taken a tissue sample, make sure you get yourself connected with a lab that is locally trusted and associated with one of our owners, and they'll definitely put you in the right direction to make sure your NutriSolutions 360 is on your farm. 
You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperforth, Winfield United Ag Technology Applications Lead. And joining us in the studio today, agronomist John Zook. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. 